Author Media presents Novel Marketing, the longest-running book marketing podcast in the world. This is the show for writers who want to build their platform, sell more books, and change the world with writing worth talking about. I'm your host, the professor of book marketing, Thomas Umstadt Jr., and today we're going to talk about marketing psychology. This is another one in our series on marketing psychology. The better you know what motivates your readers, the better you can motivate them to buy your books. This is the heart of marketing, but please use it for good. With great power comes great responsibility. So earlier in episode 223, we talked about urgency. In episode 225, we talked about scarcity and ubiquity. And now in episode 229, we're going to talk about social proof. People want to do what they see other people doing. This is the technical term that we call social proof. When you were a kid at an amusement park, did you want to ride on the roller coaster with no line or did you want to ride on the one packed with people? As a rational person, you should want to go on the one with no line, but we all want to do what we see other people doing. And surely the one with the longer line is the better roller coaster. And now that you're an adult, do you vote for the third party candidate who lines up with your values or do you vote for the candidate who has the most other people voting for him or her who has the best chance to win? Uh, People are uncomfortable eating in empty restaurants that they've never been before because they feel safe in a crowd. They feel safe doing what other people are doing. Uh, This is why uh, some restaurants hire temps uh, in the early days of the restaurant to sit in there and eat. And when people, you know, drive by like, oh, my goodness, that place is so crowded. I couldn't find a place to park. You know, it has it must be a good restaurant to eat at. Or, wow, that book has over 10,000 reviews. It must be good. Now, social proof creates a cycle. To him who has reviews, more reviews will be given. But to him who does not have reviews, even what reviews he thinks he has will be taken away by Amazon's algorithm. A social proof is why we see stickers that say USA Today, best-selling author on the cover of books, and because people are more likely to buy that book if they see that a lot of other people have bought that book. Uh, But you don't have to be a USA Today bestselling author to use social proof. We're going to talk about a lot of ways to use social proof. But before we do that, we should talk about how to generate a following worth proving. Because the more people that follow you, the more social you have to prove, the more powerful social proof will be. Uh, So I'm going to give you a couple of quick tips, general tips on how to become more popular. Uh, For more specific tips, listen to almost any of our other episodes. We have dozens, if not hundreds of episodes here on the Novel Marketing Podcast talking about other ways of building your platform and getting more of a following. But I want to give you a couple general ones here that apply regardless of whether you're writing fiction or nonfiction and regardless of whether you're indie or traditionally published or something else. So the number one tip is to focus. Pick one area to demonstrate lots of popularity rather than dabbling in a lot of places. Dig one well deeply rather than two shallow wells, or God forbid, dozens of shallow wells. I will say, I was digging dozens of shallow wells, and I went through that uh, terrible season of pruning, which we talked about in earlier episodes, where I cut and cut and cut activities that I was doing so that I could be more effective 
in the activities that remained. <laughs> so, and as a writer, this applies to your writing. If you write in multiple genres, cut all but the most popular one and focus on writing books in that genre. I know you don't want to hear this, but it really will uh, make you more successful. It doesn't mean that you're trapped in that genre forever, and it doesn't mean you can't ever write in other genres, but if you're looking for success, if you haven't found it yet, you really need to focus. Another way you want to focus is you want to focus your writing and your marketing on the individual. Find a real-life human in your target demographic and then focus on thrilling that specific person. So if your book is for women between the ages of 35 and 50, find a 42-year-old woman, an actual woman, and see if she likes your book and work on having her love your book, a a real-life representative of your book. I've been talking about this a lot lately on the podcast, but it's really easy to thrill your imaginary friends. It's a lot harder to thrill an actual reader. And I've been doing this on this podcast. So when I create episodes, especially recently, I've been focusing on the questions that my patrons send in, and more specifically, the questions from the masterminds and my mastermind groups that we started connected with the podcast. And at this point, almost all new episodes are coming from questions, either from the free Facebook group, the paid Patreon questions that come in, or the premium mastermind group. So I'm focusing on far fewer people than I've ever focused on before. And the result is that the podcast is more popular than it's ever been before. Let me say that again. By focusing on fewer people, more people listen because I'm focusing on real people rather than imaginary people. (laughs) The masterminds in my mastermind groups, I get to know, I see their faces, I hear their names, and I get to really understand their challenges. I get to really understand their questions. And when I do an episode that answers one of their questions, it doesn't just help them, the individual, it also helps everyone else who's like them. Crowds are gatherings of individuals. To grow a crowd, thrill the individual. Focus. The second tip, to generate a social following worth proving is to undershare on social media. Uh, One thing you'll notice that celebrities do is that they always leave people wanting to know more about their personal lives. Once fans get all their questions answered about someone, they stop being interested and they tend to move on. This is the secret of the royal family and what the royal family in England has used to stay in power despite having no power. They're still on the throne, partly because they're so good at making people want to know more about what they have going on. So I'm not saying don't share on social media, but I'm saying give people just enough so that you stay interesting and nothing more. Oversharing on social media is the path to obscurity. Social media is not where you generate a following. Almost no one is able to become famous on social media. There are a few ways to do it, but they're so distasteful that almost no authors are willing to walk that path. And I don't recommend that path. It's such a distasteful path. Generally speaking, social media is where you demonstrate the following that you've generated somewhere else. It's what you get after you write the runaway best-selling book. It's what you get after you write the blog post that goes viral. You following people and interacting with people on social media isn't going to get you famous. It's not going to get you the millions of people you need or hundreds of thousands or even tens of thousands. It may not even get you hundreds of real people. You may be able to get two or 300 people to follow you on Twitter or even a thousand, but how many of them actually see your posts? How many of them actually click your links? That is not the way. This is not the way. (laughs) If this were Star Wars, this would not be the way. 
Uh, and I know some of you don't want to hear that, but some of you are relieved because you've been told probably by people who haven't tested their ideas recently, that the way you build a platform, the way you build a following is to do it on social media. And if you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time, you'll hear us talking with countless people who are walking a different path, a more effective path, a more successful path, and a less stressful path. So undershare on social media. Uh, the third tip for generating a following worth proving is to, as video gamers would say, get good. <laughs> so this is a term uh, from the video gamer community, and it's a response given often when someone is complaining about a video game being too hard. So if somebody says, oh, the game Dark Souls is too hard, the response is, no, it's not. You just need to get good. And when it comes to writers, this has to do with your craft, both the craft of writing and the craft of marketing. For novelists going through our five-year plan, we spend the first two years focusing on craft, almost exclusively on craft. So the five-year plan, for those of you who don't know, is our guaranteed path to becoming a best-selling author, and it is a robust, challenging curriculum, but it works. And part of the reason that it works is that we focus so much on craft in the early years. There's no shortcuts in this plan. And our students are getting great results, especially the ones that actually follow the plan and they work on their craft in those early years. Uh, many authors are just a dozen craft books away from success. That's it, just a dozen. It's not that many books to read and to put into practice. And one of the things that our students going through the five-year plan do is they read a lot of craft books and they write a lot of short stories practicing the craft techniques that they're learning. But you also need to get good at the marketing. And you're already doing that by listening to this podcast and learning about marketing psychology. This is a topic almost no one in publishing is talking about, the science behind the marketing tactics. And when we get into the marketing tactics here in a moment, you'll understand why traditional publishing companies do some of the things that they do. You'll understand the science behind it and the rationale behind it from a fundamentals perspective. And you can learn how to put it into practice for yourself, even if you're not traditionally published. Uh, the fourth way to generate a uh, social following worth proving is both the easiest and the hardest, depending on who you are, and that is to partner with a celebrity. Why build your own fan base when you can just borrow somebody else's? This allows you to skip the whole platform building process and borrow the platform of somebody else. Seth Godin, who's now considered to be the number one marketing guru, he writes the number one marketing books. His first book on marketing was Guerrilla Marketing for the Home Base Business by J. Conrad Levinson and Seth Godin. So he teamed up with the biggest name in marketing, and that's where he got his start. Uh, the author Jerry Jenkins wrote dozens of books in obscurity, dozens of books that very few people read. And it wasn't until he teamed up with a celebrity pastor, Tim LaHaye, that he wrote the epic hit Left Behind that sold over 80 million copies. I did the math on that, and that is around a billion dollars of book sales. Yes, you heard that right billion with a B. That is the power of teaming up with celebrity. And the key here is to be willing to do most of the work. As the writer, as the person who's not bringing celebrity to the table, you are doing the work of making the book. And in both of these instances, uh, Jay Conrad Levinson and Tim LaHaye did very little with the books that had their names on them. They were doing different work. They were doing the work of being famous and getting famous, and that is what they brought to the table. And Seth Godin and Jerry Jenkins brought the actual work of writing the book. Everyone won out of that arrangement, and you have to recognize that building a following 
does take work and it does take skill and the people who bring that to your book deserve to get compensated so don't get angry if they're not doing half the work of writing the book they may just read it at the end and that's all they're doing and they're putting their name on it and that matters that makes a difference because people want to do what other people are doing they see that it's written by a famous author they have no idea how much of it is written by the famous author but they don't care they want to read it anyway now there are many more ways of getting famous so keep listening to this podcast in future episodes we'll talk about other ways of doing it but these are four quick tips uh, to focus on just a narrow audience to thrill the individual which is what will grow a crowd undershare on social media get good and finally partner with a celebrity uh, partnering with a celebrity is optional uh, and but the other three I, I don't think are optional you have to get good I recommend undersharing on social media for pretty much everyone and everybody needs uh, to focus at least at the beginning of their career you can earn the right uh, to experiment in other kinds of writing after you've been successful in more than one thing after you've won several NBA championships you can go play baseball if you want although chances are you'll end up playing basketball again after all <laughs> not that that happened to any famous NBA players so now you're famous or you've dem- you've generated a following somehow and chances are you're actually more popular than you already realize already and the key is just to put your best foot forward so let's talk about how to do that here are several uh, seven different ways of demonstrating social proof these are proven time-tested ways of demonstrating social proof and you don't use all of them You'll want to pick the one that works the best for you, that plays best to your strengths. Uh, Maybe you can use two or three, but most authors just use one. So as I go through these, listen for one, you think, aha, that's the peg I'm going to hang my hat on. So the number one method is a bestseller badge. This almost goes without saying, but featuring a bestseller status from a major newspaper is one of the most powerful forms of social proof because it comes with third-party validation. Readers don't have to trust you, they just have to trust the USA Today. And there are rankings of uh, bestseller status. I'm going to go through these rankings, I'm going to give a little bit of commentary real quick. So the number one best kind of bestseller is what's called an international bestseller. My understanding is to be an international bestseller, you have to hit a bestseller list in multiple countries. And then, depending on the audience, after that, it's number one New York Times bestseller, followed by New York Times bestseller, followed by USA Today or Wall Street Journal bestseller. They're both kind of in the same category. And then followed by like a trade association bestseller. And then finally, Amazon bestseller, which uh, is only valuable, in my opinion, when Amazon puts it on your page. It's not something you would put on a sticker on your book because you can be an Amazon bestseller for two hours and then it goes away and our readers realize this. Now, depending on your audience, you may or may not want to feature the New York Times. And the New York Times used to be considered the gold standard for bestseller status. But in recent years, they've been started snubbing people for political reasons. So they snubbed Jordan Peterson, who had one of the top five bestselling books of the whole year in 2018. Uh, they've snubbed some pro-life books and they completely snub indie authors. And so because of this snubbing with certain groups of readers, the New York Times is no longer seen as uh, politically neutral. It's no longer seen as most credible. For a lot of people, they don't care. And if you're writing to a general audience, New York Times is still safe. Um, but you do want to keep that in mind. And I've tried to kind of 
err towards the more politically neutral USA Today and Wall Street Journal. I haven't heard anyone complaining about those lists being biased, and they're also much more indie friendly. And as a indie friendly podcast, I like to support the lists that are friendly to indies. And having a committee exclude a book because the publisher, you know, doesn't pay for advertising in that newspaper or because they disagree with the politics of the author. I I don't know. That that just um, rubs me the wrong way. And it makes me a little sad that the New York Times does that. But it's it's up to you whether or not to feature it. And it, uh, I would, if I were a New York Times bestselling author, I would put it on my book <laughs> uh, in most instances. Um, but again, it, it depends on your target audience and whether or not they would be offended by that. Uh, most bestseller lists are weekly. So if you want a good chance to hit one of the bestseller lists, the key is to consolidate your sales in as small a window as possible. So let's say you have one book that sells 10,000 copies a week for two weeks. That's probably not enough to hit the New York Times bestseller list. But another book, let's say, gets 20,000 sales in one week. That probably is enough to hit the New York Times bestseller list, depending on the week and depending on the category. Uh, 25,000 sales would really give you a good chance uh, to get into uh, one of the bestseller lists. But here's the deal. That's the same number of sales. It's the same number of money coming in. But the one with the concentrated sales is the one that's far more likely to rank. Uh, so the strategy here is to have a strong launch, to come out of the gate incredibly strong and get as many sales in that first week or first two weeks as possible. And authors who have a big enough name, a big enough reputation, are able to, in that first week, just by the power of their name, sell enough books to hit the bestseller list. And then the strategy is you use that bestseller status to then sell more books. You put that sticker on all of the books. And traditionally published books will go in the warehouse. And literally, it's a literal sticker. So when the book is first printed, obviously it doesn't say New York Times bestseller because they don't know if it's a New York Times bestseller before the book comes out. But once it is, they have somebody... Very quickly, add stickers to all the books. Or I imagine um, smart publishers will have a machine that does it. <laughs> very quickly sticker uh, thousands of books. Uh, but the key is that you launch really strong. And we have some episodes on book launching. We have episode 150, a blueprint on how to launch your book. Episode 174, how to create a written book launch plan. And we also have a special book launch Q&A. It's, a bon it's an unnumbered bonus episode, but I have a link to it in the show notes. And yes, for those of you who are asking, we are planning on doing another season or another session of our popular book launch course in May of 2020. So I know we were planning on doing it earlier in the year, even late last year, and it didn't work out. And I apologize. I've already been threatened by at least one listener <laughs> of dire consequences if I don't bring it back. So I hear you. I know you want us to do this course. It's one of our best courses, and it is coming back in May. If you want to be updated when that course comes out and get in before uh, the doors close, because unlike our other courses, this one is um, everyone goes through day one together and day two together. You have to register by a certain time. Make sure you're on our email newsletter uh, to get the notifications about that. All right, so that's the kind of classic bestseller list, strong launch, traditional strategy. Now let's talk about some other ways of demonstrating social proof because there's not enough room on the bestseller list for everyone. And just because you're not on the bestseller list doesn't mean you can't still have social proof. Uh, the next method of social proof is to feature a celebrity endorsement. So maybe you weren't able to co-author your book with a celebrity. That doesn't mean you can't still take advantage of it. 
And this underlines an important principle that not everyone is equal when it comes to social proof. Some people are more equal than others. And a lot of people are motivated by celebrity endorsements because they like that celebrity. Jerry Seinfeld is selling toothpaste. If I like Jerry Seinfeld, I'm more likely to like that toothpaste. This is a very demonstrated effect the celebrity effect. It's why so many companies pay celebrities to endorse their products. Now, the crazy part is that Jerry Seinfeld has no particular credibility when it comes to toothpaste. He's not a dentist. He's an actor. What does he know about toothpaste? But that's not, it's not an appeal to authority. It's an appeal to celebrity. It's a social proof appeal. We'll talk about appeal to authority later. So that's another social trigger, or it can be if it's used well. But the point is, if I like Seinfeld, I want to like the things that he likes. Just like if I like you, I want to like the things that you like. So word of mouth from friends, social proof from friends, is more powerful than social proof from strangers. And social proof from strangers is more powerful than social proof from enemies, right? So if I am a University of Texas Longhorn fan, and the University of Oklahoma Sooners really like a product, that doesn't make me more likely to like that product regardless of how many Sooners like that product. So uh, just keep that in mind that different people affect social proof differently. Uh, and this is why books feature blurbs by celebrities. So this is one that can be combined, right? You can combine bestseller list status with a celebrity blurb. And the key, and again, I've talked about this a lot previously, so I won't underline this, but the celebrity needs to be known by the reader or the title needs to be known by the reader. And the title could be best-selling author, right? Like that's a legitimate title. If another best-selling author, if a New York Times best-selling author or USA Today best-selling author has endorsed this book, even if I don't know who the author is, I know the title, I recognize the title, it makes me more likely to like the book. Uh, we have some episodes actually on uh, connecting with people like celebrities. In fact, it was one of our very first episodes. Episode seven is the secret of getting people to love you. We also talked about this in episode 63, six proven me methods for creating maximum impact at writing conferences. It's like a networking episode. And then episode 127, how to connect with anyone in the world. So just because you're not on a first name basis with Hollywood celebrities doesn't mean you can't still connect with uh, people who have credibility or are known and liked. We'll talk about how to do that in those episodes. All right, the third method for demonstrating social proof is to ask for reviews. The number of reviews a book has is just as important, if not more important, than the number of stars the book has. So, and I will say, as an Amazon customer, I really pay attention to the number of reviews a book has or any kind of product. Um, I want to see that it has a good number of stars, right? If it's low rated, I'm less likely to buy it. But most books have between four and five stars. And there's not a lot of advantage of having 4.3 stars as opposed to 4.4 stars. But there is a huge advantage of having 100 reviews rather than 50 reviews. Uh, so the more reviews your book has, the better. So how do you get reviews? You ask. So a couple of quick tips for getting reviews. We have an episode lined up with an expert on book reviews. I'm really looking forward to. Uh, but here are some quick tips that you can take to the bank right now. Number one, create a launch team of people who are willing to buy your book on day one uh, and review it. So you don't want to be giving away free copies to your launch team. You want them buying a book and you want them leaving a review. Again, it's about a strong launch. Uh, in the back matter of your book, which we talk about in episode 182, have a letter to the reader 
asking them to leave a review. And in the ebook version of that book, link to the store they bought the review in. So if they bought it on Amazon, link to the Kindle page. If they bought it on iBooks, link to the iBooks page where all they have to do is tap with their finger to then leave you a review. Just reducing the friction that little bit can dramatically increase the number of reviews you get per reader. Another way to increase the number of reviews is to free pulse your book. Make it free for a day or two. And we talked about this in episode 108. Uh, and it's a great way of getting a lot of people reading your book, which can cause a lot of people to review your book. Uh, another way to get more reviews is to ask people individually, one-on-one, -on -one, asking people for reviews. So respond to fan mail with a request to leave a review. Another way to get more reviews is to be controversial. Uh, books with a controversial angle get more reviews than tepid books, or books that are afraid to rock the boat. Uh, another way to get more reviews is to email your email subscribers asking for reviews. Another way that's very effective is to mention negative reviews on social media. Often your followers will come to your defense. If you get, especially if you get a really mean-spirited negative review, you can use it to motivate your uh, readers to go and defend you. And then finally, you can always try guilt tripping your fans. And I will say, you have to ask for reviews a lot. Like this podcast has hundreds of thousands of downloads and only around 100 reviews. This means that the vast majority of people are getting value from this podcast and yet they never leave a review despite getting dozens of hours of help for free. See what I did there? I just guilt tripped you a little bit into leaving a review. And I also have a link at ratethispodcast.com forward slash novel marketing if you want to review unto others as you would have them review unto you. <laughs> so anyway, uh, those are some quick tips on how to get more reviews. Again, we have a lot of episodes lined up on book reviews. I, I'm kind of embarrassed that we haven't talked about book reviews more on the podcast up to this point because it's so key for online book sales. The fourth method of demonstrating social proof is to mention other books you've sold. So this could be like, this is the author of the best-selling books X, right? So if your previous book was a best-selling book, you can put that on your cover. You can feature that in your marketing copy. And you can do this even before your book comes out because you already know, oh, my earlier book was a best-selling book. But you can also do this with the total number of copies sold. And this is a common strategy used by genre indies like Chris Fox. Uh, you'll notice that he mentions in the podcast that he's sold hundreds of thousands of books. I, I think he's up to two or 300,000 books uh, sold. He may be at half a million now. I'm not, not currently up to his numbers, but the way he's gotten that many books sold is that he has a lot of books. So while I don't know if any of the individual books have hit a bestseller list, He's sold a lot of copies across his entire catalog. In fact, he's sold more copies than a lot of best-selling authors who just have the one book, right? They have the one book, it came out that one week and got a bunch of uh, sales. It was a flash in the pan and then it went away. Somebody like Chris Fox or Joanna Penn, uh, who have a whole bunch of sales across a big library of books, actually have more books sold and are potentially making more money, too. Uh, another way to do this is you could say, I'm the author of over 20 books or something like that. So you're not necessarily mentioning how many copies you've sold, but you've, you're mentioning how many titles that you have written. Uh, the fifth way to demonstrate social proof is to feature awards that you've won. This is a less effective way of demonstrating social proof. Uh, and you would never want to say award-winning, best-selling author. Uh, that's kind of bad form. If you're a best-selling author, you say best-selling author. If you're award-winning, 
then the assumption is you're not a best-selling author because best-selling is seen as a higher status uh, in amongst readers. But being award-winning is better than nothing, and it is a form of social proof. Uh, so while it's not uh, a form of social proof like a celebrity endorsement, where I like the person who likes you, therefore I'm more likely to like you, it's a these strangers who gave out this award thought highly of you, and so I'm more likely to think highly of you as well as a reader. Uh, most readers couldn't tell you the name of a single set of awards. Uh, there's no like single group of awards in publishing like there are in, say, uh, music or movies, right? Most people know about the Grammy Awards. Most people know about the Academy Awards uh, for motion pictures. But most people don't know about the various kinds of fiction rewards, partly because there's so many of them. <laughs> Each genre has its own award ceremonies and its own award groupings. But it's still better than nothing. And we talk about how to get awards for your book in episode 66, which talks about how and when to enter contests and also how to spot the scams that uh, masquerade as contests, but are really just trying to get your money. And then we have a whole episode on 146, how to spot a publishing scam, uh, since a lot of writing contests out there are fraudulent. So be careful with the awards you've won. Of the methods here, this is the one that I'm the least passionate about. I've seen the least results as a marketer or somebody who works with lots of authors over a lot of time. I just, I don't see a lot of readers caring really strongly about this. Um, there's some awards, perhaps in children's books, that have uh, a little bit more weight. There's a Dr. Seuss Award. We recently bought a book that had won a Dr. Seuss Award, you know, that had his actual name uh, in the name of the award. And it was, it was an okay book. And <laughs> it didn't, it didn't boost my opinion of the award, I will say. Uh, now, if you've won a Nobel Prize for Literature, totally different. Uh, everyone has a high opinion of that, but uh, it's really hard to win the Nobel Prize for Literature. And I don't think the kind of people who are listening to this podcast uh, are the kind of people who are trying for that, because it's a very different kind of book. And typically, the kinds of books that win Nobel Prizes are not very popular in the sense that they're not like best-selling books that everyone's buzzing about. They tend to be a little more literary in nature. All right, now the sixth method for demonstrating social proof is to feature credibility numbers. The thing to realize about big numbers is that people can't really handle big numbers in their brain. Thousand, million, billion, they're all eye-watering numbers. And to give you an example of how hard it is to hold this in your head, a million seconds is 11 and a half days. A billion seconds is 31 and three quarters years. And a trillion seconds is 31,000 years. So uh, it's hard, you know, it's like we know obviously that trillion is bigger than billion, but it's hard to really wrap your mind around how much bigger that is. And so this is something you can use to your advantage in publishing in that really almost any kind of big number is a big number. And in the minds of people, all big numbers are basically the same, which is it's kind of an interesting phenomenon. And this is one of those things that can be misused a little bit if you're not careful. So do be honest and uh, use this uh, responsibly. But there's a lot of numbers that you can use to demonstrate uh, social proof. And so feel free to think outside the box here. So one I see sometimes used is the number of languages a book has been translated into. Uh, this it can be a really impressive 
number, even if it's a really small number, right? If this book is in 23 languages, that's almost in the minds of a reader, the same as being an international bestseller, right? Like those kind of have the same, operate in the same spot in people's heads. Number of books published, like we've already talked about. Another one I see a lot, especially for books that are used for promotional purposes, is copies in print, right? The author gets 100,000 copies of their book printed, and spend a small fortune printing up a whole bunch of copies of their book, and they put a sticker on the cover. It says 100,000 copies in print or 500,000 copies in print. It's an impressively large number. Now, for people inside the industry, they realize that copies in a warehouse isn't very impressive, and what's more impressive is copies sold, right? Over 1 million copies sold uh, is far more impressive, and yet to a reader, eh, maybe, maybe not. Another way that you could use a kind of a credibility number is something kind of connected with you, but not necessarily connected to your book. So let's say you are writing to high school students. You could say speaks to over 100,000 high school students each year. You're able to work in that big number in your platform in that way. The final method to demonstrate social proof is to feature your est. So this is what I do to demonstrate social proof on this podcast, right? I don't talk about how many people listen. I don't talk about how much money I make. I talk about the fact that we're the longest running book marketing podcast in the world. And I will say once we started introducing the podcast that way, and we had been the longest for a long time before we put it in our intro um, because we just didn't think of it. Uh, but when we finally did, people started treating the podcast with more respect. It got, it became easier to get guests on the show, and it became easier to just kind of be in the world and for people to take us seriously, despite the fact that we've been creating episodes since 2013. Uh, but longest running is just one kind of est. There's a lot of these that you can work with, right? Longest, shortest, fastest, slowest, richest cheapest, poorest, funniest, biggest, smallest, greatest, weirdest, rarest, earliest, latest, and far more. I have a link to a dictionary page with all of the superlatives listed. So see if you can't find a superlative that you can honestly apply to either yourself or your writing. This can be a great way of demonstrating pseudo-social proof. And why I call this pseudo-social proof is that, you know, I could have been doing this podcast with no listeners for all these years. So it doesn't exactly demonstrate social proof. It it demonstrates almost like a proxy to social proof. You know, people, at least sane people, wouldn't podcast for, you know, over a decade or almost a decade with no listeners, right? They'd give up before then. Uh, But... I could be crazy, right? And I could I could be talking to my microphone and there's no one on the other side. Um, and this so form of social proof doesn't prove that. It doesn't prove that I'm not crazy. And, you know, maybe I am. <laughs> I feel like if, if you ever have to utter the phrase, I'm not crazy, it, it, it's a self-defeating phrase <laughs> because sane people never say that. They never have to or they rarely have to. So I hope this has been helpful in helping you uh, demonstrate social proof. This is one of those things that, you know, rationally shouldn't matter. Rationally, we should prefer to go to the empty restaurant and prefer to go to the coaster with no line in front of it and prefer to vote for the candidate that we feel the strongest with. But that's not how real humans are in real life in most areas. We want to do the safe thing. We want to do the thing that the group is doing because we're safe with the group. And, you know, this is maybe a condition of, you know, our ancestry where we were safer and, and grouped with, you know, others, you know, from the saber-toothed tigers, or maybe it's a product of our educational system. I don't know 
why it's the case, but I do know that it is the case. And with all of these marketing psychology elements, with all of these social triggers, you have to dance with the way people are, not as the way you would like them to be. Uh, if you have some cool ways of demonstrating social proof, feel free to talk about it on our Facebook page, or sorry, our Facebook group, which we have a link to in the show notes. It is the nicest, friendliest, safest author Facebook group around. See what I did there? I've worked in some superlatives. Another thing about superlatives is that they're harder to disprove, right? It'd be really hard to disprove that we're not the nicest Facebook group. You'd have to find another Facebook group that was even nicer, but I'd like to think that we're the nicest. Uh, This episode of Novel Marketing has been brought to you by my course, The Art of Persuasion. If you've been holding off getting this course during its free window, this is your last warning, or almost your last warning. Uh, February has a bonus day in it this year, so you got a little bit longer. Uh, But anyone who becomes a patron of the Novel Marketing Podcast at any level gets a free copy of this course. The course is normally $49, and people at the end of the month, patrons will be able to save 50%, but if you sign up now, you can get it for free. This is like a how to write effective nonfiction in a course. If you're trying to persuade people in your writing, this course will be helpful. But even if you're writing fiction and you're trying to persuade people to buy your book, this book will help you understand how to do it well and how to do it honestly and how to make it a little bit more fun. It's a really great course. I think you'll really enjoy it. You can find out more at novelmarketing.com. Our featured patron is John Sugar, author of The Exorcism of Frosty the Snowman. In the frozen north, children link hands in a ritual circle and sing a song they never learned to summon a primordial enemy they never knew existed. Frosty is just a fairy tale, they say. They are wrong. So thank you, John, for being a a patron of the Novel Marketing Podcast. And if you would like to become a patron, we have a link at novelmarketing.com. And if you can't afford to be a patron, but you still want to help the show, you can. Just leave us a review. Uh, The number of reviews of a podcast is a great way of demonstrating social proof, and I very much appreciate every single one of you who leave reviews. It's really encouraging, and it helps me continue making episodes. And if you would like to leave a review, you can do that at ratethispodcast.com forward slash novel marketing. And if you have a question you'd like me to answer on a future episode, feel free to call our listener helpline, 512-827-8377. Or you can, of course, leave a voicemail on our website in high quality from your phone. You have been listening to Thomas Umstead Jr. on the Novel Marketing Podcast, giving you innovative ideas on how to promote yourself and your writing offline, online, and everywhere in between. Thanks for listening.